Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to welcome you to this Sunday's worship in the life of the Village Church. Even though we are not physically gathered together, of course we are gathered together in the bonds of the Spirit, the bonds of the love of Christ, who has called us to be family with each other. As we prepare for worship, let me remind you that you may send your prayer requests to us at this address, prayers at villagechurch.org. You may send other messages to us by writing to my email, jackb at villagechurch.org. You may send your offerings and financial support to Box 704 in Rancho Santa Fe, or you may go online at villagechurch.org and in that way continue your financial support of the church. Last week, we celebrated Juan Carlos Acosta's fifth anniversary with us as our director of music. And this week then means that he is beginning his next five years of service with us, which of course is only the beginning of what will end up being 30 or 40 years of service with the Village Church. So Juan, congratulations. We're glad you're with us. Today, of course, is Communion Sunday, and we have invited all of you to prepare your own communion elements to partake at home or wherever you may be watching today's service. We have invited you to send photographs of yourselves with your communion setups in your homes, and many of you have done that. Those photographs will be shown as we are partaking communion uh, a little bit later on in this morning's worship. Here in the Baca household, Helen and I have set up actually eight different forms of communion as a way of recognizing that we will be using different cups, different plates, different forms of bread, but it's the same communion, the same sacrament that we share. Over on this side are several kinds of bread that Helen baked for us to share later on today, and uh, at the very bottom is one of my very favorite kinds of bread, Cheez-It crackers. Over here on this side, some more bread and another one of our favorite crackers, Triscuits. But up here at the top, I want to call attention to this particular cracker. You will recognize it as a Ritz cracker. And the reason I wanted to share this with you is because several years ago when I was visiting in El Salvador with some of our Christian missions there, and as we were worshiping with one of the local congregations, they passed along the traditional, uh, what for us is traditional at least, uh, communion tray uh, with the tiny little cups of grape juice. And then they passed along a huge tray full of Ritz crackers. And I thought, this is perfect. And so in this way, with these Ritz crackers and with all of these other forms of bread and wine that we are sharing today, we are recognizing that though we are different and though we are coming from many places, still we are sharing the one sacrament of the Lord's Supper with each other. And so friends, let's prepare ourselves to worship now and let's be called to worship with these words from Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Friends, let us worship God.
mercy is deeper than any valley we ever go through and God's grace is greater than the widest part of the earth in Jesus Christ we are forgiven we need only ask giving to God all those things in our heart that make us sinful God is gracious and will forgive us I invite you to take a moment just to pray you and the Lord and then I will lead us in a prayer of confession. Let us now come before the throne of God's grace. Holy God, giver of light and grace, we have sinned against you and against our fellow men and women through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have belittled your love and betrayed your trust. We are sorry and ashamed, and we repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past, and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen. In the season of distancing ourselves from each other, we have a God who engulfs us with this grace through the love of Jesus Christ, who has forgiven us our sins and given us life filled by the Holy Spirit. Let us live in that love and in that grace through Jesus Christ. Amen. I now give to you the peace of Jesus Christ. May the peace of Christ be with you.
Good morning, Kids Village. Today is the first Sunday of a whole new month. We have officially moved into the month of May. Your word and theme for this month is determination. Determination means that you are willing to accomplish whatever it is that you've set out to do. Our story for today comes from the book of Matthew, where Jesus looks at his disciples and tells them to go out and preach his word and his love to many people. In order to accomplish that, the disciples needed to use that word determination and say, okay, we're gonna go out and do what Jesus asked us to do. Jesus wasn't gonna be with them all the time at this point, and so he wanted them to know that they had the Holy Spirit in them, just like we have the Holy Spirit in us today, to make sure and to help us that we can use determination to accomplish all the things that are in front of us. Being at home, I know that you all have a lot of tasks that you are trying to accomplish, whether that's a coloring sheet, making sure that you're doing your homework, making sure that you're on your Zoom calls for school, whatever it is that you are setting out to accomplish, Jesus wants us to use that determination to make sure that we finish all of those goals. It makes Jesus so happy and it pleases him when we use determination and accomplish things. He doesn't want us to just do things halfway. He wants us to really take a hold of all the things that are in front of us and using his Holy Spirit and knowing that he loves us, we can then fully accomplish all the tasks that are in front of us. There's a lot of things that are gonna be challenging, especially now, and so our encouragement to you all is to be reminded throughout this whole month of lessons that using determination can help us get through the hard tasks ahead of us. We miss seeing you all so much, and we hope that you are enjoying your Sunday school lessons. We'll talk to you soon. Greetings from our backyard, and just behind me is a wall that on the other side of that wall is, is traffic, the world outside. And right behind me right there are roses that started to bud a few days ago. It's a perfect backdrop for our prayers, prayers of petition and prayers of thanksgiving. In the midst of the hustle and bustle, the interruption and disruption of this pandemic is the life of spring, the renewal of creation. This is a time in our worship service where we present our prayers of thanksgiving and our prayers of intercession for ourselves, for our loved ones, and for the world. I'll offer words of a pastoral prayer on our behalf, and then I'll invite all of us to join our hearts together in praying together the Lord's Prayer. Let us pray. Most gracious and loving God, in the midst of this global pandemic of great interruption, disruption, distress, and despair, we turn to you for you are our refuge and our strength, the one who is the Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ. We're grateful for all the ways that you bless us, that we can be your church in virtual community, gathered together and united in the spirit of Jesus Christ in common faith, hope, and love. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to the nations, all those infected, infected and affected by the COVID-19 coronavirus or any illnesses and ailments that you would bring healing and wholeness to mind, body, and spirit. For all those who have lost loved ones, we pray, Lord, that by your love and peace, you would strengthen and comfort. We pray, O oh Lord, for first responders, for doctors and nurses and medical caregivers. We give you thanks, O oh Lord, for their service and duty among us. And Lord, we pray that you would help those who are feeling isolated and alone or who are in fact alone. 
We pray for students of all grade levels and their teachers and professors who prepare their lesson plans. For students, O oh Lord, who are looking forward to a graduation, we pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your peace, fill them with your love and chart their course, O oh Lord, for their next stage in the educational journey. Lord, hear the prayers of your people as we gather to worship you, as we gather to praise you, as we gather to celebrate the Lord's table, Lord, with you. We pray, Father, that you would hear our prayers wherever we are, whatever life circumstances is. For we offer all of these, O God, with a sure and certain promise that you hear us, that you are with us, that your love surrounds us. As children of God, with confidence, O God, we pray and are dare to, we dare to pray that prayer which Jesus Christ taught his disciples, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us begin our time in the scriptures with a prayer for illumination. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, since we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly, my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. They conspired to kill him. But when Reuben heard this, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, 
they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him up out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Many years passed. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And now, a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, he was going along and approaching Damascus. Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
if love became a man If the word had flesh and bone Would you recognize his face If he came to bring you home You think you're all alone Gotta do it on your own Riding solo Is there someone you can call When you stumble and fall Cause you don't know If you'll be getting up again But there is a way There is a spark there is a hope that you can hold on to There is a lifeline, come to the rescue Just like a hand that's waiting for you And if you believe in this, I promise that you won't be alone There is a way, a truth and a life and a way Don't you think your life's worth saving? Don't you think that love's amazing? Don't you want to let It's so much more than that And it's waiting here for you Cause there is a way There is a spark There is a hope that You can hold on to There is a lifeline Come to the rescue Just like a hand That's waiting for you And if you believe in this I promise that you won't be alone There is a way There is a way Through the crises of life. For the last couple of Sundays and for the next several Sundays, we will be focusing on that central truth of life and that central affirmation of our faith, that there is a way through the crises of life. Today we're looking at some of the crises that occur in the message of Scripture and that great story of God's salvation and God's redemption of His creation, including us. Today we're looking at the crisis that occurred in the lives of Joseph and of Paul. Now you remember Joseph, of course, the youngest son of Jacob, in the line of succession of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph. God's plan for creating a family that would become the nation of Israel that was meant to become a blessing to all of God's family, the family that we are part of here on earth. And then, of course, Paul, arguably the greatest apostle of the New Testament era, one of the most influential people in all of human history as he followed Jesus and taught us about Jesus. And so we're going to focus on Joseph and Paul today and look at their lives. Let's talk about Joseph for a minute before the crisis occurred in his life. We'll talk about Paul as well. You know a lot about Joseph, perhaps, and we had a portion of Joseph's story read for us. I would encourage you to sit down later today and read all of that story as it occurs through several chapters in Genesis. 
Joseph, you remember, was the next to youngest son of Jacob. He was the favorite son of Jacob, if you will. We are told in a famous story that Jacob gave a special coat to Joseph, a coat sometimes called a coat of many colors. Other times it's described as a coat of very large sleeves. A special coat like that meant that uh, uh, Jacob did not mean for Joseph ever to do any work. If you had long sleeves, you couldn't work. If it was a long robe, you couldn't work. And so we know that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Because of that, Joseph uh, was very puffed up. Joseph was very proud of himself. And of course, he had many older brothers who were not very happy about that. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's talk about Paul for a moment. Paul, too, was a very proud and very respected person, a, a Pharisee, someone who had studied the scriptures, someone who was respected in the society and the community in which he lived, someone who became an enemy of anyone who would threaten the order of the religious elite in his day. We know that Paul became an enemy of those blasphemous kooks who were saying that Jesus was the Son of God. But more about that later. So here we have Joseph and Paul before the crisis occurs in their lives. Joseph and Paul who are in charge of their own lives. Everything's going along beautifully. Everything is set up perfectly for them. But then, of course, there's a crisis that occurs. Joseph's brothers conspire against him. They can't stand this snotty-nosed, little, conceited, and arrogant brat. And so they conspire to kill him, but instead of killing him, they throw him into a pit, and then they sell him off into slavery, and he's taken off into a foreign land. He's taken off into Egypt. Later on, the crisis will spread to include all of Joseph's family, as a famine occurs. There was a crisis for Paul as well. The proud and puffed up and successful Paul is on his way to Damascus to find some of those crazy Christians. But on the road to Damascus, he's struck blind by the light of Jesus. And he suddenly discovers that the God he thought he was defending is the God whom he was persecuting. For Joseph, the crisis would continue in his life as he's taken into slavery in Egypt. But then Joseph finds himself in a position where he begins to work his way out of slavery and work his way up into power. But it takes a long time. For Paul, Paul's life continued in crisis in many ways. He would become an itinerant preacher facing the dangers of travel, which once at least included a shipwreck. He would be poor, he would be persecuted, he would be tortured, he would be imprisoned. Eventually, he would be executed. Joseph and Paul's lives went from being perfectly fine to perfectly terrible and completely different from what they imagined, from what they expected. We know, of course, that Joseph and Paul survived. What were their lives like on the other side of the crisis that had been precipitated for them and to them? 
Joseph, as I mentioned, rises to a position of prominence and power. He becomes the number two man in Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh himself. Joseph did that because he had amazing dreams that told him what was going to be going on in his life. Paul, of course, became the most influential of all of Jesus' followers, and even though his life continued to be filled with challenge and difficulty, Paul founded churches, Paul wrote letters, Paul became the first great interpreter of Jesus and arguably the most influential theologian of all of Christian history. I think it's instructive to us to think about what happened in Joseph and Paul's lives when they were so terribly interrupted. What did they do? How did they keep going? I've observed a few things. You might observe some more as you think about them. The first thing that I see for Joseph and for Paul is that they used who they were and what they knew in order to survive the crisis that came into their lives. Joseph had a dream when he was a young man, a dream about sheaves of wheat that told him that he would be prominent among all of his brothers. And later on, when he was working for the Pharaoh, he had a dream about seven fat cows and seven lean and starving cows. And the starving cows ate up the fat cows, but it was a dream that told Joseph about a famine that was coming. And so Joseph was able to convince the Pharaoh to store up food during the prosperous years And it was that food that saved the Egyptian people and ultimately saved Joseph's own family. Paul was a man of great intellect, a man of great education and learning, a man who knew the scriptures of his people, a man who was passionate about faith, a man who could lead other people, a man who could teach. And so Paul used those gifts that God had given him. Instead of against Jesus, he used them now for Jesus. Joseph and Paul used what God had already given them in order to survive the crises of their lives. They also accepted the new reality of their lives. I suppose they began to realize that our plans, their plans, were fragile, temporary. Joseph didn't expect to be taken out of his life and thrown into a new life. Paul certainly didn't expect that. But Joseph thrived in Egypt. Joseph accepted the new reality of his life and made something out of it. Paul thrived as well. He was taken into Damascus and stayed at the home of Ananias, and there he began to learn about who Jesus actually was. And so Paul kept going. He accepted the new reality, the new plan for his life that God had for him. They kept going. There's a lot to be said for just keeping going, never quitting, never stopping, always looking forward, even though sometimes you can't see where the next step might be. It's also instructive to me that Joseph and Paul took care of other people along the way. Joseph became a great steward, a great minister and leader within the kingdom of Egypt, He was respected for that. He was powerful because of that. He took care not only of his own starving family, but but a whole starving nation. 
He served other people. Paul served other people as well. Paul took his new commission as an apostle of Jesus to share the good news with everybody, the Jews as well as the Gentiles, and even when some rejected him, when some persecuted and tortured and eventually imprisoned and killed him, still he told people about the good news. You and I have Paul to thank in no small measure for the faith that we now have and for the knowledge that we now have of a loving and giving God. So Joseph and Paul did something about the new situation in which they found themselves. They used who they were and what they knew, and they accepted their new reality, and they kept on going, and they took care of others. But there's one other thing about Joseph and Paul's stories. One other thing that is the most important thing. As Joseph gives food to his brothers and they realize who he is and they're worried about what he might do to them because of what they did to him. Joseph says a couple of fascinating things. He says, God sent me before you to preserve life. So it was not you who sent me here, Joseph said to his brothers. It was not you, but God. God was at work in Joseph's life, even in the midst of the crisis, even in the midst of the interruption. Paul, later on, as he reflected on what his life had been and what the life of any Christian is, Paul would say, as he wrote his letter to the church in Rome, we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. There you have that same principle in play, that same dynamic. That we think that we're in charge of our own lives, that we're making our lives happen. And yes, of course, we must plan, we must do, we must work, we must use who we are and what we are and where we are, regardless of whether it's something that we expected or not. And we must make our lives happen. But there's a larger reality in play. There's a larger dynamic at work, and that's the reality of God and the dynamic power of God to make something happen out of sometimes the mess that we make of our lives, out of the crises, out of the interruptions, out of the disruptions, out of all those things that we thought would never happen but do happen. Still, God is at work. You see, our lives are not about us, but about God. Joseph's life was part of God's plan, a plan that he started with Abraham and continued long after Joseph. Paul's life was a part of God's plan, a plan that Jesus informed Paul about when he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus had a different plan for Paul's life, and it worked out perfectly, which is the way God's plans always end up. And so what do you and I do in the crises of life? Well, the first thing that we remember is that God can be doing something in the crises of life. Regardless of what crisis we face, God is always there. God never deserted Joseph. God never deserted Paul. God is always there to work beyond evil 
to work in spite of evil, to overcome and conquer evil, and to create good. So what about now? What about you and me? Your life and my life, all of our lives, are no different than the lives that Joseph and Paul lived. We too face crises, one in particular that's at the back of our minds right now, but anybody who's been around for a while has had other crises, and if we keep on going, surely there will be more. But the same response that we see in Joseph and Paul is called forth from us to use what we know and what we have and who we are, to accept a new reality, to keep going, and most importantly, to remember that we have the same God, the same Savior that they had, who's always with us, always calling us to serve others at the same time that we are taking care of ourselves, always working in ways that perhaps we cannot see, but ways that we can always trust. Today, friends, we remember the single biggest crisis of all of human history. We remember the crisis that occurred when God's Son died. We remember the crisis that was created by our rebellion, the crisis facing God to reestablish a relationship with us, the crisis that only God could overcome and that God did overcome, the crisis of resolving and restoring and renewing us in relationship with God. God solved it himself in the broken body of Jesus, in the spilled blood of Jesus. God solved that crisis himself as he, as he sacrificed himself for us to prove his love for us and to restore that broken relationship with us and to offer us a new way forward. That's why we always come to the table. Ministering in Jesus' name, I invite you to come to the table now. I invite you to remember that that one day all of us will gather together, closely hugging and holding and being with each other. Until that day comes, we will gather in this way, knowing that God holds us all in his hands, and that God invites all people from east and west, from north and south, to come to his table today, and one day all will come in the future. We remember that on the night of his rest, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat it, remember me. Friends, let us partake of the body of Christ together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, 
saying, This cup is the sign of the new covenant sealed in my blood. We remember that whenever we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, that we proclaim the saving death of Jesus until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Cut off from me, you can do nothing, but those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit.
participated in this Lord's Supper wherever we are, let us join our hearts together as we close this communion table. Will you please pray with me? Loving God, we thank you that you have fed us in this sacrament, united us with Christ, and given us a foretaste of the heavenly banquet in your eternal realm. By the power of your spirit, may we continue to do your work and live to your praise and glory. In gratitude, we seek to take your message of love and grace into the world during this season through our giving, our prayers, letters, phone calls, and virtual meetings. We pray these things for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
some ways, you and I live in a time somewhat similar to the time of Joseph and his brothers, a time when people are worried about their food supplies, when life has been disrupted and interrupted. Let me propose to you that the supply of our spiritual food is never interrupted that we can always be filled with the presence and the power of God, that we can always rely on the wisdom and instruction of the Spirit as we are taught how to live in Jesus' way, that we can always rely on a Savior who said he would never leave us, never forsake us, but that he would be with us always even to the end of the age. While our plans for life might be disrupted and interrupted and thrown in the trash, still we know that God has a plan. God has a way forward for us and for all of his creation. And God's plan will always prevail. Indeed, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Tis grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Amen.